Hey, everybody, it's Ryan Ripley. Wanted to get a new offering in front of you as soon as possible, evidence-based leadership. And so, as you all know, Todd Miller, myself, and Will Seeley, we're big on evidence-based management. We want to apply it to the leadership space. We all know that modern managers face complex challenges every day. You're juggling a lot of needs, your direct reports, your stakeholders, your customers, they all need constant attention. What we want to do is help you manage that. We want you to use information and data to make good decisions around all of these areas so that we're delivering the right thing at the right time for the right customer. And we know that we're doing that because we're using data and evidence to validate all the things that we're doing. And not only that, we're not just looking at value, but we're looking at our capabilities as an organization. Can we deliver on time? Can we innovate effectively? Do we have too much tech debt? Do we have too many things in process? Are we unable to deliver when the market demands that we do? We look at all of these things with evidence-based management. We merge that into a leadership uh, mindset and lens, and we enable you to make new and better decisions repeatedly based off of the data that you're collecting within your organization. It's exciting stuff. We hope you can join us. Visit agileforhumans.com forward slash EBL course. Join us in one of these offerings. We think you're going to love it. Hope you can join us. Use Agile for Humans, the number four to take another 15% off of this course. And uh, we can't wait to see you there. Agile for Humans, episode eight. Processes and tools dominate today's Agile discussions, but we are devoted to the individuals and interactions that make it work. From the beginner to the veteran practitioner, we have something for you. Welcome to Agile for Humans. All right, welcome to this week's episode of Agile for Humans. I'm your host, Ryan Ripley. Joining me this week, very special guest, Victor Bonacci, host of the Agile Coffee podcast. That's right, folks. It is a host versus host <laughs> kind of evening, except we're not, we're not really dueling. We actually get a chance to sit back, enjoy a conversation, not really have to facilitate. I don't know, Victor, it seems like it's going to be kind of freeing for us for once. I love it, Ryan, because the shoe's on the other foot here. Instead of me like turning the knobs and pushing the dials, I get to sit back and relax. I know. I got to find someone to interview me, though. It seems, <laughs> like, uh, seems like I'm always facilitating. But I think tonight's going to be different, more of a free-form discussion. We get a lot of questions as podcast hosts about how the podcasts work, You know, what are we about, um, even a lot of questions about what conferences are we into, what kind of agile thinking and, and other types of ideas are we working on. And so this is, I think, a good opportunity for us to bounce ideas off each other. But before we get too deep, Victor, I'd, I'd really appreciate it if you'd give the listeners an idea of who you are, what you're into. Yeah, my pleasure. And I want to start by thanking you, Ryan, for having me on the podcast. Uh, your podcast, Agile for Humans, is something that came up recently, and I've just been diving into it. I love it so much. As you said, I do the Agile Coffee podcast and working back from that, uh, I kind of fell into the Agile Coffee moniker because of the whole idea of lean coffee. I went up to San Francisco not too long ago, about three or four years ago, and, and met Jim Benson and a few of the guys that were practicing lean coffee up in the Seattle area. And that's where I had my first lean coffee was at this conference in San Fran and, and just fell in love with it. And we could talk more about that later on. But but just a little bit more about me. I'm currently an Agile coach. I've been uh, working as a Scrum Master for the last four or five years, uh, if not longer. 
Um, I was a bit of a dabbler and a and a hack before that. I don't do much programming these days, um, but uh, but I did spend some time in that world, and um, I've been in IT for about eighteen years now. Yeah, going back and forth between either programming or webmastering before that, and and the other side project management, and then and then uh, working as an agile coach. And you know, I find that I I love it now. Now that um, I'm in the world of of agile and and lean and process improvements and servant leadership, it fits like a glove. There's no going back now. Yeah, it's hard to imagine why you'd want to. You know, once you get a taste of that kind of life, it's hard to step back and and go back into that old mode. So it sounds like it's a great story. It's a great journey through substantial IT career. And I can't thank you enough for joining me. The Agile uh, Coffee Podcast is one of the first ones I started listening to. Really enjoyed it. You know, you guys get a you know, a somewhat rotating group of a variety of topics, you know, inherently by following the, the Agile coffee process, you know, you're going to get a variety of topics, just a lot of fun. So for the listeners out there, if you've not listened to Victor's podcast, there will be a link in the show notes. Highly recommend it. You know, there's only a handful of Agile podcasts and his is definitely one you should be listening to. You know, I think something we'll jump into is really from a community perspective. You know, I know that you're Actually, you were one of the main organizers uh, for the recent Agile Coach Camp West. Maybe you can tell the, the listeners a little bit about that conference, how it went. You guys had a really unique venue that I'd love to hear more about, and maybe some plans for the future. Yeah, sure. In fact, Ryan, I think this is the, the way that I got to know you, was from your association with the Agile Coach Camps um, that you guys have been doing on the East Coast and the Midwest. There was the Indianapolis Coach Camp uh, back in the fall of last year, 2014. And two of my peers, uh, two of the guys that are on the podcast pretty often, Brett Palmer and John Jorgensen, did um, have the opportunity to go there. And they came back just blown away by it. And they said, you know, we've been to these Agile Opens before, but but a Coach Camp is really where it's at. And it didn't take me too much um, arm twisting to get me on board. Uh, just because, you know, it's focused on a narrow set of, of attendees, those who are really into the concept of coaching and what does it mean to be a coach. At the Agile Opens, you get a wider variety. You get some execs, you get some developers, uh, you know, product owner people and all that. But the coach camp, um, we thought, and, and I guess we were right, uh, that, that the attendees themselves are really more passionately focused on the concept of coaching. So as you said, it was the first agile coach camp on the west coast when when brett and john started talking about it the first thing we thought was we need to find a date and a place and so we settled on you know somewhere in the early part of the spring uh we ended up with april 10th or so and and then we started looking for a, a location and i was looking for kind of unique locations i found this um this outdoor venue it's a Boy Scout camp, actually. What's it called? The Irvine Outdoor Education Center, something along those lines. And it's in the foothills of these, these modest little hills and mountains that we have here. Like I said, all outdoors at a Boy Scout camp. So it came with bunk houses. It came with a bungalow, uh, a series of bungalow rooms, and all these little outdoor venues so that people could take advantage of the nice warm weather that we have here in Orange County in the springtime. And so... Um, so that was the first thing. Once we had the location locked in, and Diana Larson said that she would come, and a few other of our uh, close friends and associates said that they would pitch a hand, you know, the hard work was already done. So um, a little bit of organization is involved, and uh, I have really have to tip my hat to Brett Palmer because he went out of his way. Um, he was really gung-ho on, on the organizational aspects of it from the get-go. You know, everything from 
making sure the T-shirts were designed right, the directions were labeled, we had enough places for people to stay, you know, everything that goes along with organizing one of these events. It was a, a two-and-a-half-day event, all run with the open space technology. I ended up facilitating, you know, holding space, doing the opening circle and all that, so I got some some help in advance. But, you know, they were really instrumental in helping me, you know, make sure that I knew what I was doing for holding space. It was my first time doing it, and and it was a lot of fun. They had a lot of trust in me, organizers, as well as uh, these other people giving me the advice. So it went real well. We had about 65 or 70 attendees for the three-day affair. And, you know, people just love the fact that it was outdoors. It really took the whole, you know, voting with your feet to a new level because you could take great advantage of being in these spaces that would not confine you in any way. Let your, <laughs> let your spirit and your ideas soar, so to speak. I was actually at the Agile Coach Camp in Indy and, and got to spend a, a little bit of time with John and, and Brett. And they left there with just that wild look in their eye, like they had yep. seen the promise of, a, of an amazing conference and they wanted to replicate it. They, it sounds like from, the, unfortunately, I couldn't make it get out to the West Coast at that time. You know, many of the same in the Agile coaching and Agile conference circles, it's, it's, not, a, it's not a huge group. So you run around with the same people. Right. A lot of excellent feedback about your guys' efforts and conference. And so it's one that if you guys do continue it, I'm certainly going to make an effort to get out to. But the outdoor aspect sounds amazing. It really um, seems like it's conducive to the type of thinking we're trying to do. Seems like it would just be a great way to, to further agile thinking. And, and from the sounds of all the feedback and even just watching it on Twitter, you know, you guys mm -hmm. did an amazing job. So definitely an interesting conference. It's amazing when you work on the on the back end of a conference like that, just how stressful that, that whole production is. In a traditional sense it, with Agile Indy, you know, have we filled the hotel block? Are we on the hook for 100 rooms that aren't filled? And, and what's the catering look like? And what's the sponsorship levels? And, and the, you know, the website has a wrong date. Hurry up and get that fixed. And, right. and how is all that stuff going? And how much work goes into it? But the community behind Agile Coach Camp is just so vibrant. There's always someone that steps up and helps. There's always someone that's willing to, to just say, yeah, I, I will take care of that. I know there was a lot of crossover between the East Coast and West Coast, mm -hmm. coach camp organizers, and just a lot of fun to watch that that unfold. So great job to you guys. And, and I hope to see at least some of you guys out at Agile Coach Camp at the end of this month. Yeah, it's coming up in, uh, in D.C. Out in Washington. Mm -hmm. Yeah, out in D.C. We're going to be uh, heading out there, Paul Boos is organizing this year. I think he's put together a great, a great venue and a really excellent conference experience. Hope some of you guys make it out. I'm not sure who's going out there. Unfortunately, I won't be able to make it out this year. But it's it's definitely on my list to get out of the region. Like I've been going up and down the uh, the West Coast here for a number of you know retreats and camps and other conferences, and I find it great connecting with people regionally. But now. I need my next stretch goal to be, okay, let's let's get back to the Midwest. Let's get to the East Coast. Let's get up to Toronto or some somewhere and just get to know other people in, in those areas. Uh, as you said, it's a great community. You know, all the all the work and hours of sweat and all the stress putting into it is so much paid off by the time it actually happens. You kind of forget all of that hardship that went into it. It just makes for, a, like you just said, a really great meeting of the minds. And, oh, by the way, we did put money down for the, um, we reserved the place for next year. So we have the dates. I think it's April 15th to the 17th of next year. And uh, it's the same website, agilegathering.com. I'll give you that for the show notes. Um, but yeah, we're very excited to have it at the same location uh, this time next year or that same time next year. 
Yeah, well, I'll tell you what, I will go ahead and make the plans early to, to head out there and be a part of it. Because I, like I said, the feedback was so excellent that I was kicking, kicking myself for not making it. I'm not going to make that mistake next year. So really glad to hear that you guys are putting it on again. Well, something else that you and I have in common, as I mentioned, you know, not only are we affiliated with Agile Coach Camp as volunteers and, and in your case, an organizer, we're also podcast host. And it's certainly a, an interesting look from the host seat trying to facilitate, asking good questions, keeping the conversations going, and even some of the behind-the-scenes stuff. I know that I get a lot of questions about how the podcasts work. Are you getting a lot of inquiries about what makes it happen and, and some podcasting tips? Um, I've had a few over Twitter. Nothing over, over email so much, but, but yeah, over Twitter and then face-to-face whenever I have a, a local meetup. Because I also i have been doing the Lean Coffee's like face to face before we started doing the podcast and and I'll mention to the the local group hey we do the podcast too and they're like oh really wow I want to check it out or if they have checked it out they they might ask me what's the you know how do you go about making a podcast I've always thought about it but I've never gotten into it and it just seems so intimidating so I get a little bit of it I come from um you know one thing I didn't mention in my intro is I've got a, a studio recording degree and this goes back 25 years or more and a filmmaking degree after that. So I was familiar enough with the technology to know that, you know, it's, it's got to be so easy and cheap now since last time I talked with anyone uh, about recording or, or bought any equipment. It was so expensive back then. But nowadays it's, it's so inexpensive and accessible to, to anyone at all. There's really no excuse, you know, not to, um, not to just jump into it. Uh, so, you know, I, I've got, a ton of answers. What kind of questions do you get asked? A lot of people are interested in, you know, how do you produce the podcast? And it, as you said, it's, it's amazingly simple. There's not a lot of, of magic behind it. You know, the, right now what we're doing. So we'll, we'll pull the curtain back a little bit. Tell people exactly how this is working right now. We're on a Skype call. So Skype is free. You know, it's a video call between Victor and I. I'm recording this podcast with an application called Pamela which is a, I believe it's a $30 download, which is really just a Skype call recorder. I use Adobe Audition to edit the podcast. I think it's a, what is Adobe now? A $20 a month subscription uh, to use the application. And then it's hosted on Libsyn, where it's, it's then syndicated out to iTunes and Stitcher and other applications. So Libsyn is another, I think it's 15 to $20 a month, depending on the storage size. And so you can see from a very small, and that's you know have, you don't have to use those tools. Right. So there are free options out there if you don't want to use Libsyn. I think you can even host the files on Amazon or Google, and you know much cheaper. I like Libsyn because of the features and the the stats and the tracking, but you don't have to use it. And so, but even with just the the minimal tools I listed, you know it's a it's a small investment, and you can get a pretty good sounding podcast just over Skype, and uh, and recording it with Pamela. So. It's not a lot of uh, complicated things, you know, not a lot of uh, equipment. If you have a computer and a microphone, uh, you can do what we're doing. I have been bringing a, a Behringer mixing board um, to my meetings. That's how I first started. It was just using a mixing board with a couple of mics. Um, got a few Audio-Technica mics and other decent mics that you can find relatively cheap, like 60 or 80 bucks a piece, and, uh, and plug them in with an XLR cable. And then I use Audacity, which is completely free. It's an open source uh, mixing program, audio mixing program, that's for Windows. And I go from there. Uh, I have been lately using 
a new portable mixer. It's a recorder mixer, something called Zoom, Z-O-O-M. And uh, I think I have the H... I have the H5, I want to say. I can't remember, but it makes recording on location drop-dead simple. And, you know, a little bit of editing in post-production is all I need. But I think your model, by using Skype, you know, I'd have access to a lot more uh, a lot more interesting people to talk to that way. Not that I'm getting bored with the people I'm with. I love the guys that come to my on-site locations, but it's difficult coordinating sometimes. You know, if it's a Saturday morning, you know, someone might have family obligations or, or other things going on. So, so you don't always have the same people who are able to show up in person. But like you said, you know, I think I've probably got three, maybe $400 of audio equipment invested at this point in time. And that's more than enough. I've got things that I probably won't be using anymore. Um, I use Libsyn also for hosting. Like you said, it's probably $15 a month, something like that. And, you know, I've, I'm considering throwing a, another podcast together and getting that up there as well because, you know, Leibson can handle more. And with my audio background, I'm, I've kind of got that bug anyway. I've, the allure of recording and hearing other people's voices really appeals to me. And um, as long as I've got the bandwidth to either do it myself or, or the means to find a, a virtual assistant to do some editing and post-production work, then, you know, it's no big deal at all. And uh, something I think also you and I have in common and, and a lot of the... Uh, podcasts I listen to is there's no sponsorship. Really, I'm not sure if you're considering it, but I've thought about it a couple times. I don't really even, I don't really need sponsorship because like we just said, the cost of producing these things is so cheap. I'm not sure that what sponsorship would do. So it's not something that we're incredibly worried about initially. I think it'd be neat to get the right sponsor. Yeah. So I'm not, I'm not necessarily looking to get the first one that we could, but you know, Agile for Humans is a podcast that explicitly puts individuals and in, in interactions over processes and tools. Mm. And so it would be hard for me to accept a tool vendor <laughs> as a as a as a sponsor, right? Yeah. But if there was a a product or or something like that that really embraced that kind of thinking, then then I would certainly consider it. But yeah, like you said, the investment is so low when you're not interrupting for commercials. And I think at this point, it just doesn't have the, the value that I would need to, to add it to the podcast. But with that said, you know, if there's an interesting possible partnership out there, it's, I, I'd never say no to, a, to at least an initial conversation. But I like where your head's at on it. And I tend to agree that at this point, just keep it as a pure podcast with uh, the exchange of ideas and, and hopefully putting out a good product every, every week. And and see if it grows from there. Yeah, and that brings up another point is scheduling. How frequently do you put out your podcasts? Do mine. I think it's every other week. I've got a pretty good cadence down where I'll record something. I've got two or three already to go, kind of in the can, ready to go. So I've got one coming up in the next day or so. And then, you know, I know that if I have a session, I could tell the people that are on it, hey, look for it in four weeks' time or six weeks' time. A lot of the, the topics that, I, that we discuss, they're not like necessarily time-based topics. They're kind of these evergreen topics. I've been listening to your podcast. I've got a handful of other Agile-related podcasts I listen to. I even go back and listen to my podcasts because, as you said in the beginning of the, of the call here today, as a producer of the podcast, sometimes my mind isn't always as 
on it as it needs to be, like not always listening to every single word and kind of anticipating what I want to do to reply to someone because I might kind of watching the time box or something like that. So I find a lot of value just going back and listening to these podcasts, my own included, because I'm always getting more from them and it makes me a better coach uh, in the long run. And it's hard to get too much of this content, right? So there's not that many agile podcasts out there. There's a few that are, are so short. You know, one of my favorites right now is Agile in Three Minutes. Amitai Schleier puts that out mm. once a week. It's a three-minute podcast weekly. Yeah. But it's just an, it's a great three minutes. And then, you know, some of the other ones that, you know, you have uh, This Agile Life that comes out every Sunday. You've got the Metacast where they're trying to, I think, get to a every two or three weeks where they have an episode that comes out. And, of course, you know, Agile Coffee, definitely that one's in my podcatcher. I also listen to some of the episodes that we put out because you're right. When you're hosting, facilitating, you know, watching the sound levels, you know, is, is the Skype connection going bad? Do you have to stop people for a minute? You know, you're not necessarily centered and focused on the content. And so it does make it a little more difficult. But, uh, yeah, going back and listening is a great, especially the last few No Estimates episodes we've done. There's just been so mm. much knowledge dropped. You know, when you get people like George Dinwiddie and Tim you Ottinger. Neil and, on there and George. Neil yep. Killick, mm -hmm. Amitai Schleier. These guys are, you know, in the first couple ones, we had Don Gray. These really high-end thinkers. Bob Galen from the Metacast and joined us. And now you've us. got uh, Zach Boniker on for two of your episodes, which is fantastic. Yeah. Zach is local so, to us here. He's in San Diego, so about an hour and a half from me. And he's a great guy. He's been on a couple of the, the Agile coffees that we do. And he holds a lean coffee group down in San Diego. So they, they meet face-to-face you know, a couple times a month as well. And yeah, like you just said, every time you mix up the crowd, you get a different combination of opinions and, and really good ideas bouncing back and off of each other. It makes it so worthwhile. A couple other podcasts, uh, the Agile Toolkit I've heard, and there's one out of Australia, the Agile Revolution. They're one of the first ones I listened to and, and really good, good stuff going on. You mentioned this Agile. And right now, my favorite one is Metacast. Like, uh, I think you mentioned the Metacast on one of your first podcasts. And I was like, Metacast, let's check that out. And Oh wow, that's Bob Galen's podcast. Okay, and uh, you know he's a cool dude. He he and uh, gosh, is it Zach? I'm messing up now. Uh, Josh, he and Josh uh, put out yeah. a really great product, and you know I go back and listen to all of theirs at least once, if not twice. Certainly agree. I mean, Here I we are, there's not enough other people's podcasts. Yeah, but I think that's okay. I'm really a big fan of of agile podcasts, and and there's so much room in this space for for so many more than what's already there. So certainly not worried about that. There's just a lot of great ones out there. And Agile for Humans may not be right for for you. Well, there's a ton others out there that have great content. I hope you listen to them and, and you get something valuable out of it and you hear the Agile message and, and it stirs your thinking and, and you learn something. So I, I'm happy to, to discuss other podcasts. We've actually had Bob on the show. Mm -hmm. uh, Victor, you're joining us. I, we're planning a crossover episode next week where we're going to do an Agile Coffee for Humans yeah. or something like that next week. And anything we can do to, to spread the word about all the Agile podcasts out there and, and to get that listenership up and get the ideas flowing, I am in full support of. Right. And going back to the idea of community, like, uh, like you said when we were talking about events and these Agile Opens and Coach Camps, it's kind of, it feels like it's, it's people from the same community that are going to all these. You don't see the same set of people at each or at each event, but but still they're they're representing different areas of this community and and that's what these podcasts are. It's just that way of getting that community to be more virtual. And you're talking about these same issues from other perspectives all the time. It's 
it excites me so much <laughs> to no end. Something interesting that you were bringing up, I think before we started the, the recording I, that I wanted to get into was the coaching dojo and your experience at the Scrum Coaching Retreat in Seattle. This coaching dojo idea just fascinates me and I'm hoping that you can put some some detail out there for people and and indulge me with a few uh, questions. Yeah, absolutely. Um, first of all, the coaching retreat itself is sponsored by the Scrum Alliance. So it's a Scrum Coach Retreat. And, you know, you can go to their website and, and find when and where the next one is. But this one happened to be up in Seattle. It was uh, this past June. And I hadn't been to one of these before, but I'd heard about the one, I think, that they had in Phoenix a couple of years ago or somewhere in, in Arizona a couple of years ago. Then they had one in Raleigh, North Carolina. I guess it was last year. Um, and, you know, I heard about it and I was like, well, what makes it different from an Agile Open or an, an Agile Coach Camp? And what I heard prior to going was that you're put onto a team or you, you choose what team you want to work on based on what the team has decided to, what their project is. And then you work on that team for two days in and you follow kind of the scrum practices. So you have a, a scrum master and you have a product owner and then you work in in our case, we had three different sprints that spanned two days. And you develop a finished product that you can share with the community. So, you know, I'll give you the link to, to ours. And I think there's a link to the past couple as well that's, that's public. And you can see the products of these like five or six or seven teams that were at the retreat. Our team was working on what you just said, a coaching dojo. So the concept was put forth by Chris Wagoner. He said, okay, what can we do? So that we can, as agile coaches working within an organization, what can we do to bring up, to kind of identify the standards of the scrum masters that we want to have working on these projects and, and bring them up in their training and advance their training beyond just a mere scrum master into an actual agile coach. So the coaching dojo was, was the idea that they put forth and that's what we started working on. So in a nutshell, we had some, some questions that were used for like how to interview the, the potential scrum masters and then identify what level are they at, like what belt color are they, you know, all, all the way up to the black belt, the white belt, the brown belt, the green belt, whatever. And then what are the areas that they could, not to mix metaphors, but get their, their merit badges in? You know, what are the different areas of being a scrum master that we, we want these these new scrum masters in training to focus on so we spent uh, a couple of days kind of looking at that from a very high level and then digging down into details and to identifying different tasks that we need needed to follow through on so we'll make sure that link gets into the show notes because i'm very interested in the idea of what a scrum master can do to help their teams how they how they can behave in positive ways and it sounds like you guys are almost putting together katas so to mm -hmm. say about uh, good scrum master behavior, which is you know one of the areas that I really try to focus on so that I, I'm glad you guys are working on. Another topic that has just stuck in my brain since we, we kind of put together the idea for this show is pair coaching. So I'm very familiar with pair programming as a developer early in my career, career really enjoyed pair programming, learned the most from pair programming experiences. You know, you're sharing the keyboard, you're writing your tests, you're failing your tests, you're implementing your code, you're passing your tests, you're doing all this feedback in real time with the code, feedback with your pair. It seems like it just amplifies the learning. 
wondering if you can help me with how does pair coaching work? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, like you, I'd been introduced to pair programming rather back in, I don't know, 2001 or so as a programmer and just fell in love with it. And that was, you know, obviously before the word agile kind of took over and, and all that. But, but, you know, I'd worked with my teams and I'd seen teams work as in pairs and I'd seen the, the benefits and I'd done some training with my teams and with the, uh, the leaders in the organizations too to kind of go over what are the benefits of pair programming. And somewhere along the way, I realized that, you know, I kind of asked myself, why are, why are the programmers benefiting from, from this idea of pairing and no one else is? And I thought, you know, there's got to be somebody talking about pair coaching or pair training or pair working in general. So who is it? And, and I did a little bit of investigation and I, I, um, found a guy in, oh gosh, I hope he's in, I think he's Belgian, uh, Yves Hanule. And uh, he's on Twitter and he's got uh, the website paircoaching.net, as I think what it was. Um, and he's maintained it for a few years, then he kind of let it go. And then just recently we resurrected it. He's got a, a Google group called Pair Working up there. So he'd been talking about it and, and Joshua Kirevsky, I think, was also talking about it several years ago. But there's not that much out there. If you start looking around on Google for pair coaching, you don't find that much out there. But I think that it is very valuable for coaches in training, uh, whatever your level of competency is as a scrum master, as a coach, as a product owner, as, a, as an executive, I think that we can all benefit from some idea, some level of engagement in pair coaching. So just to give you a little perspective, I've worked on identifying different roles as pair coaches. On my website, Agile Coffee, I've got a few podcasts, um, sorry, uh, a few posts. I think I've got two posts specifically related to, to pair coaching. One is just identifying the roles. And you can think of it as if you're doing a training or even hosting a retrospective, you've got one scrum master who's kind of doing the facilitation or in the training, in the case of training, kind of walking us a room full of people through the training. And your other coach, if you involve another coach, they could be in the back of the room kind of observing, taking notes on how you can improve the training for the better. Maybe they could be scanning the audience to see who needs that extra attention, who the outliers are, kind of giving them that extra attention so that the trainer isn't pulled aside. They can also, that extra person can be called upon to discuss one topic in great detail. Maybe the, the observer is actually a, a subject matter expert in one area or another of training. So, so that's just one role, the trainer and the observer. Uh, I also pitched a couple of other roles, like a, a good cop, bad cop, which I'm not sure if I like the name of bad cop necessarily in Agile, but, you know, someone who's more prescriptive and says, you know, we need to do this. And the other person is offering that empathetic shoulder to cry on. You can have co-learners so that you can each be engaged away from the team in just learning more and on and on. There's a couple other roles like driver navigator. I kind of borrowed from Kent Beck, but you still have that concept of two people learning together. The whole idea of two heads are better than one. So that depending on, or even independent of, I should say, independent of your skill levels of the two coaches, you can each help each other and accelerate your learnings. Because, you know, I, I'm fine reading a book. I'm fine going to a conference or, or listening to a podcast or whatever it is and, and learning that way. But once you start pairing me with someone else in the organization, boom, my, my learning accelerates so rapidly. Not to be long-winded, but you can also have a scrum master and a product owner pairing together. And often we do this 
in our workplace, and we don't even realize that this is an example of pairing. Uh, one person is more of an expert, and the other person is there to be a sounding board uh, or to learn. So I think that anywhere in the organization um, that you can think of opportunities for pairing, uh, it's probably there. And if not, just a little bit of uh, you know asking someone if they could come and lend you a hand, you could get to a pairing relationship right away. You know, we have mob programming. I wonder if we need the hashtag mob coaching. <laughs> that's uh, that's interesting. I like that idea. I don't know how many coaches it'll take to uh, screw in the proverbial light bulb, but that's uh, beware of hashtags. You never know what you're going to start once you do something like that. <laughs> oh, if only I could undo a few <laughs> tweets. No, it's actually, these ideas are fringe. These are These go against traditional... Management thinking, it goes against traditional software development thinking. And that's why I think they're important. You know, you have mob programming. Why would you have five people looking at one keyboard and one screen? Well, because five heads are going to come up with a solution to a very difficult problem quickly. It's amazing. I love the mob programming. I was with Jason. I was with Woody uh, several times for talks. And I even visited down there at, at uh, Hunter. Uh, and what they do is just mind-blowing. I mean, it's so simple. In concept, and you wouldn't think of it of it as something that's hyper productive, but but those teams are high performing and you know low bug rates and and they're having fun. Who would have figured? Well, how can you help but be high productive when and high performing when you're when the team is constantly teaching each other? Mm -hmm. So even if you bring in a junior programmer, and what you know what does junior mean? But let's say you bring in a less experienced programmer into a, a four or five person mob or a 10 person mob, whatever size of the mob, within a few weeks of working in that style, they're going to pick up the, the cadence of the work, the, the mental frameworks of the more experienced people. They're going to pick up the, the techniques and all of a sudden they're acting, talking and behaving and delivering like a more seasoned programmer. And when you're doing, when you do that regularly, when that becomes part of your team's DNA, mm -hmm. how can you help but be high performance? Yeah, and think of the respect that you're giving those those newer programmers or those non-programmers even. Someone who comes in, and I've seen this with pretty much any, any demo that I've seen them do, is is they kind of hand over the keyboard to someone who, by all rights, has no no reason for being in front of a keyboard. You know, the, a manager will walk by and, and kind of like, oh, oh, you guys are trying that mob thing again, and they'll put the keyboard in front of him or her, and and they'll be intimidated at first, but then they'll get it. And, and they're very respectful about it, too. Um, yeah, you're getting great quality, and, and you're building a solid team that way. Yeah, and J.B. Rainsberger went into an interesting mobbing story on, on a past episode of the podcast here, and, and he basically said he was between two different mobs. So he had a couple people on a keyboard programming, a few testers in the background, and so he was relaying. So the programmers would have... A stumbling block. The testers would think of an acceptance test. They'd code the test, make the test pass, and all of this different communication. It's this high velocity communication, instantly translating into code. Mm -hmm. And it was a, a just a staggering moment for him. And I've experienced this as well, where you just get, you know, hey, I've got this huge problem. You grab four or five developers, go into a room, uh, get a projector and a laptop on the board, and within thirty minutes, you know, whatever arbitrary amount of time, it's solved. You know, and it would have taken the individual, you know, hours, days, weeks, however long to solve it.
But when you put all those heads together, everyone learns the same lesson, Yeah. Uh, perhaps in a slightly different way. And the team just grows and gels. And like you said, they're smiling. They're having fun. They have, an, they have accomplishment. Yeah. You know, even just getting accomplishment in today's IT environment can be so difficult <laughs> that why wouldn't you amplify that? And it's just a, a really neat practice. But even, you know, mob programming, no estimates, uh, pair coaching, you know, whatever it is you want to talk about, these fringe ideas, they move the ball forward. They make, uh, I think, life more interesting. And so I only say it tongue in cheek that the hashtags are tricky, <laughs> but... Uh, they certainly do make uh, make life more fun. And then remember, at one point, Agile was a flagrant hashtag hmm. kind of concept, hmm. right? There were people freaking out over that. And now companies and management are stumbling over themselves to have the Agile tag. Maybe in five to 10 years, everyone will be mob programming. Estimates will be a thing of the past. <laughs> and, and all coaches will come in twos. I love Twitter, too. Not to get off on a tangent, but hashtags or not, just I learned so much from Twitter. And I see you out there often enough. You're like participating in the dialogues and discussions. And I think that's great. I, I'm more of a, I don't know if I'd call myself a lurker, but I, I typically kind of sit in and just kind of watch the flow, watch the stream go by. Yeah. No matter what the hashtag or what the, the topic du jour is, there's always something that can be learned and shared. And Twitter's changed our life in so many ways, just like podcasts have. And <laughs> All right, so let's yeah. stay on this tangent for a second. Okay, you got it. Five people you follow that you could never unfollow. Oh, gosh. Just because of the value you get. Yeah, uh, Ron Jeffries. Um, Love that one. Matt Barcombe, someone I probably wouldn't communicate with at all in real life, but in a tweeting, God, I can't get enough of him sometimes. I, there's so many others that it'd be... It'd be a shame I would, to if I were off, you, right? Um, if I were you, I would say Zach Boniker. Oh, yeah, for sure, and... <laughs> the funny thing is, I I did the lean coffee with him back in, I don't know, April or May, and I was introducing everyone, and I said, okay, Zach, what's your Twitter? And he's like, oh, I don't tweet, and I was like, come on, you got to start tweeting, and <laughs> look what happened then. He's been tweeting, uh, he's one of my favorite tweets uh, to follow now. Definitely, I see you, I see Paul. Oh, come on, come on, come on. Yeah, uh, Jason Kearney. You know, all my friends are out there. You mentioned uh, George Dinwiddie, Alan Daly. Excellent, excellent. Joshua Kurevsky. He doesn't tweet, I don't think, so much, but his his company does a bit. Um, there's a lot there. Yeah, I mean, that's, I don't know, that's a start. That's a solid list. Oh, I, Tobias Meyer, too. Um, yes. He's, he's fantastic. Definitely. But, yeah. I think that's a, that's a, that's a solid list. If that, I think that the, maybe I just kind of stumbled upon the reason that I don't engage more often is that I use apps on my phone. I use Twitter on my phone, and I'm always... I'm not watching the tweets come in in real time as you would like on on Twitter, on my desktop version of Twitter. So I'm like lagging a couple hours behind. So I always feel as if as if I jumped into an argument like it's already stale and too late. So I'm like, why bother? Um, but yeah, five hours later, I sir, I disagree with you, sir. Exactly. Or three days uh, or whatever it is. What are you talking is. about, man? What are you doing? We closed this discussion already. No, yeah, no, it's we, all good. It's all, like you just said, yeah. people are chopping it up and it's, there's so much good stuff out there. Yeah, it's just, it's fun that I can send out a tweet to, to manifesto signers and they usually reply. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah. hey, I had this thought about what this word meant or they're like, no, you're off or hey, that's interesting. And yeah, uh, Alistair just, Coburn, he's out there and, you know, I love his responses. He, so <laughs> the guy is, he's, a, he's hilarious. Yeah, yeah. I, I, 
Foster's a, a great one out there. Matt, like you mentioned, Matt Barcombe is mm-hmm. the, the only guy I've ever seen give a lightning talk about lightning. <laughs> so he is absolutely hilarious. Yeah. And Victor, we probably wouldn't have met or talked much had it not been for social media and the online platform. So this is a great thing. Yeah, I'd agree. We kind of hit on prior to starting that I have to ask you about because I've never heard anyone have a Fibonacci rant, but I think you have one. <laughs> it's not so much a rant as uh, just my name, uh, Victor Bonacci. Oh, okay. There you go. So how does that story point estimation work with the Bonacci <laughs> sequence? Well, um, I'm not tied to the Fibonacci numbers, but, uh, but you know, whenever it comes up in my trainings and I talk about Fibonacci and I ask people if they know the, the sequence, you know, most of the techies do. Some of the non-techies don't. And they're like, are you talking about yourself? Because <laughs> the Bonacci, Fibonacci means literally son of Bonacci. And um, the Fibonacci sequence of numbers was developed by this guy named Leonardo Fibonacci, or sometimes Pisano his name is, but because uh, it came from Pisa. So yeah, it's just it's just a fun thing that I, I use from time to time in my trainings is talking about the Fibonacci sequence and and kind of my somewhat tenuous tie to the the name but the fun thing is that i i named my daughter sophie so her name is sophie bonacci and i'd I'd be remiss if i didn't give her a shout out she had a birthday yesterday so hi sophie yeah fibonacci's uh one of the things that kind of came up once in my life and someone asked me if i was related to this famous mathematician and i was like huh who (laughs) then i got into agile and it's like oh yeah yeah of course i know fibonacci not much of a rant but you know no, it's it's funny. It, it, it's <laughs> I I want you to come up with the Bonacci sequence though. Oh, just the straight up Bonacci. So it's just uh, one, two, three, and five. Yeah, eight, eight, eights are for losers. Yeah, we don't like fours either. <laughs> fours are no good. <laughs> <laughs> Did I miss one? No, I'll call one, mine. Two. Call mine the V Bonacci sequence then. The V. <laughs> Victor's Bonacci sequence. <laughs> I like it. I guess statistically it works. And uh, if you if you do story point estimation, it's where you're at. So I like t-shirt sizes. Keep it simple. I, you know, I like whatever the team likes. Yeah, there you go. I'm a big fan of you know if the team says, "Hey, t-shirts make sense to us. We can do affinity or, or relative estimation with t-shirts. Do it." And we can we can always you can always translate a large to an eight later. I wish I knew more about it, but just dinosaur sizing. You know what size dinosaur size? <laughs> What is this? Is that the Brontosaurus? <laughs> wow. Is that the See, that Velociraptor? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, small and mean. This is mm. going to be a difficult feature. <laughs> <laughs> but if you if you actually have a T-Rex, don't you have to slice it? No, oh, yeah, Carpaccio. <laughs> I, I needed this. I don't know about you, but when you do... The last few podcasts, at least on, on the Agile for Humans stream, have been pretty serious. And some pretty heavy topics. We've taken a little bit of a... There's been a little bit of a storm brewing around some of them, so I this is fun. Yeah. I, I enjoy laughing on these, so I exactly I appreciate it. I think you guys hit some some critical and and deep topics at times as well, and it's good stuff. <laughs> well, with that, Victor, I think we're coming up to our time box. I've dominated enough of your evening, and can't thank you enough for joining me. I've really enjoyed having the opportunity to talk to another podcast host. Just. One-on-one, have a few laughs, get into a few topics, and uh, we're definitely going to have to do this again. It's been great, Ryan. This, is, uh, this has been my pleasure, hanging out with you. And you know, before long, we'll be talking with the other uh, guys from the Edge of Coffee podcast, and we'll have more fun. So now we have to do our 
mandatory book choices. So we have Don Gray's library that's ever growing <laughs> with uh, the books that we recommend and, and love. And for you, what are what are the books that are sitting on your desk? What are you cracking into next? And what do you think is just uh, almost mandatory reading for the listeners out there? Yeah, you got it. Well, Zach already mentioned uh, Reinventing Organizations, the Frederick Lelou book, so I won't go there, but he's definitely contributed to my Amazon bill as well. I picked up Robert Galen's The Three Pillars of Agile Quality and Testing, and uh, I'm just about done with that. Uh, earlier in the summer, I read uh, Essentialism by Greg McKeon, a uh, really good book, The Power of Focusing on you know One or you know, a small number of items that are very important and getting those done instead of spreading yourself out too thin. Believe it or not, I never read through Extreme Programming Explained, the Kent Beck book. So uh, I picked that up this year. Uh, I read some of his others, but this is the one that started it all. The Fifth Discipline by Peter, I think I'm going to say it wrong, Seng, Seng or Senge. I think you got it. Yeah, one of those. So those are... Uh, a few of the ones that I picked up, some are oldies but goodies, and some are just brand new. But there's so much out there, and I wish I had that whole bookshelf that you've got listed. I'd be a very wise man if I'd read, them, read through them all by now. So I've, I recently picked up The Nature of Software Development by Ron Jeffries. Anytime Ron puts out a book, I usually have it within a few days. Really love reading through his stuff. I just finished Predicting the Unpredictable by Joanna Rothman. Mm. So she covers a lot of uh, agile estimation Short read, but just a lot of great insights in it. She even covers no estimates. Uh, goes into how you can start to sell agile estimation techniques to your management. What it takes to to actually give an estimate that that is meaningful. You know, for example, if your teams are mul- if your if the members of your teams are multitasking, then your estimates are worthless. Yeah, and how to explain that to management and actually make it resonate and make sense to them. Let's see, another one. I also have Bob Galen's Three Pillars of Testing on my shelf that's, that's up next to read. Uh, it's, uh, it's a great book. Uh, he's, uh, so useful Scrum, for talking to execs. Yeah, go on. Absolutely. His Scrum Product Owner book is also one that I tend to reread every three to four months. Uh, it's just great insights into, into what it really takes to, uh, to be a product owner. I'm trying to think what else I've picked up recently. Oh, speaking of Kent Beck, I picked up on Amazon, I found all of... <laughs> You know, the authors hate this, but I found the entire XP series used for a reasonable price, mm-hmm. and I just, you have to buy them all. Yeah. I mean, those have to be on your shelf. I haven't read Extreme Programming Explained in probably a few years here, so I, I've been flipping through that when I get some time, and those books are just foundational. I wish, uh, I really want to reboot XP for this new generation of programmers, uh-huh. you know, add mob programming to it, uh-huh. add no estimates to it. You know, really reboot that XP idea and really get back to it. Because at the core of what's making teams successful right now, I think is XP. Yeah. And I'm, those are, that's the idea that's working its way through my brain right now. But I think it's actually next to impossible to have a successful scrum team without XP. There are so many great lessons in that original book. I'm with you. I've read some of his other books in that that series, but I haven't owned a copy of The Extreme Programming Explained. And, you know, you've got your TDD, you've got your whole team concept explained, um, all within this book. You've got your pair programming, just so much great stuff. And it's, it's a quick read. It's not a very big book. And... Like you just said, the most successful teams are doing it. I, I just I tend to believe that XP is foundational. 
Uh, scrum, lean, Kanban, safe, less, dad, mm-hmm. whatever your flavors are. Fast. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That's next. Fast. Yeah. yeah. Ron, uh, Ron Quartet's uh, fast. Mm-hmm. Whatever your flavor is, that's, that's the next step. And we don't have to worry about the third step because we're not good at the second step. Get the foundations and XP right. Get your next framework or methodology or mental model, whatever it is you're adopting right. And I think you're going to be on a good track. But I think XP as the foundation is an idea that is really resonating, at least with me right now. Yeah, you mentioned Kanban and, and just real quick, Personal Kanban by Jim Benson is one book that I uh, found super insightful uh, when I first picked it up and I've gone back to it a few times. The idea is so simple, you know, just visualizing your work, limiting your work in progress. Yeah, I find that teams who are stuck, if you do those two things, make the work visible. You know, why are we behind? Well, yep. a person has come in and changed our priorities six times today. Make that visible. And then, you know, why are we bottlenecked? Well, you're doing 10 things at once. Yep. Only do three. And all of a sudden, it, it, you're right. Those two tips alone could save a lot of teams in trouble. It's the simplest ideas that, uh, that can that make the biggest impact. But with that said, we have filled up Don's bookshelf. Yes. We've added a few few more to the shelf. We will get those links in the show notes so that you can, if you're interested in those books and interested in the kind of things that Victor and I are reading right now or interested in, you can go out and check them out on Amazon. Victor, anything else you'd like to plug? Anything else you'd like to to highlight for the listeners before we call it a night? You know, just real quick, the Agile Open here in Southern California is coming up in September. So the dates are uh, September 10th and 11th, and you can find out more information at agileopencalifornia.com. It's here in Irvine, California at the UCI uh, campus. It's been here a few years. I'm on the organizing committee there, and I'll be there. We've had uh, about 120 people the last couple years or so, so we expect about the same number this year. That's it. I'll just plug that. Otherwise, Agile for Humans for the win. That's right. And I know, Victor, you're coming off of a contract now. At least I think, correct me if I'm wrong, you're available as a coach to teams. Any team would be lucky to have you. If you're looking for agile leadership, agile insights, and you need a a great coach, Victor's on the West Coast, and I will get some contact information in the show notes. Please reach out to him. He he can work wonders for your team. Very kind of you to say. Thank you very much, sir. Yes, uh, it's it's the truth. <laughs> looking for <laughs> looking for great teams to make even greater. That's our show for this evening. I want to thank our listeners and of course you, Victor, for for joining in. The listeners make everything that we do meaningful and possible. I really appreciate the support that you've shown the podcast. The numbers that we're seeing and downloads and tweets and emails and messages. I'm just humbled. You guys are, are so excellent. Your words of encouragement, your, your praise, your ideas. I love them. Please keep them coming. Find me on Twitter at Ryan Ripley. Email me, ryan at ryanripley.com. Hit the website, agileanswerman.com, to leave comments about the podcast, to read the show notes. We're available on iTunes. We love reviews on iTunes. It helps get, get the word out, brings new listeners in, makes the show better. Five is our favorite number, and five stars helps that that message spread even further. If you'd like to listen to past episodes, they're also available on AgileAnswerMan.com and iTunes. And as always, thanks for listening, and good night. Hey, it's Ryan. If you're enjoying this show and want to take a deeper dive into Scrum with me and Todd, check out AgileForHumans.com forward slash training. Be sure to also look at the show notes to subscribe to our newsletter, get a copy of our book, Fixing Your Scrum, and learn more about working with us at Agile for Humans. Thanks for listening, and scrum on.